Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. We are going to be in Acts chapter 17. Are you guys prepared to do that this morning? Yeah. Um, if, you, if you need to, we are going to be moving fairly fast. So if you need to, make sure you pull the PowerPoint from off Kaya's website. And that way you can have it if we move uh, past the slides too quickly for you. Okay. We have been in Acts chapter 17. And I don't know how familiar you are. Maybe you're just joining us for the first time this week and, and you don't know the book of Acts very well, but uh, in Acts chapter 17, uh, what we see is that Paul and his, the Apostle Paul and his missionary team have just left Philippi, and uh, Philippi was a rough time. It was a little bit difficult there. Things, things weren't always going the way that they anticipated they would, uh, but God bore fruit, and uh, they left on a high note. They had some disciples that they left behind, and there was a work that was started in Philippi. And then they headed out towards Thessalonica, which was essentially the sister city of Philippi in Macedonia. And uh, it was a very similar city. And they went to go do the thing that they usually do, and that's go preach in the synagogue. And when they got there, they shared the gospel. The city was divided. People are up in arms. People are all stirred up. And uh, they're, 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 they're upset about what's being preached. Some people are very receptive. And they're excited about what's being taught. They hear this thing about Jesus Christ and the, and the death, burial, and resurrection. The Son of God has come to earth, and he died for our sins, and we can receive him, and we can move forward in faith. And, and they're excited about that, and the city is once again divided, just like everywhere Paul goes. There seems to be, there seems to be division taking place, right? Now, <clears throat> while all this is going on, we hear a very strange statement made about these men. You guys remember that? The statement that's attributed to them is that these are the men that have turned the world upside down. Okay, we talked about that's a very lofty statement to make about anybody, right? That's a big deal to say these are the men that have turned the world upside down. And we begin to ask ourselves, hey, isn't that kind of what we want? Isn't, isn't that how we want God to use us? We want God to use us to go to the world, to go to places like Ireland and turn that whole place upside down. Right? And if you, if you haven't noticed yet, the world is broken. So turning it upside down, that's the good thing. We want to turn it upside down. We want people to receive Jesus Christ and have their lives completely turned upside down. That's what we want. And so we, we took the time here, we did a deep dive to consider what, what, what does it take to be that type of person? The type of person that can turn the world upside down. What kind of faith does that require? What kind of behavior does that require? And so just by way of review, we talked about five different things uh, that are, is necessary if we want to turn the world upside down. Sorry, I'm like scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Here we are, okay? I believe it's up there on the slides. Still scrolling. You guys see it up there? Good, you're, you're ahead of me. Okay, so the very first thing is that we need to be courageous. And we talked about it. Paul should never have gone to Thessalonica. Bad idea. Philippi was rough. Thessalonica is going to be rough. Why go? 
right? But he chose to go anyway, remember? He had just gotten out of jail. His back was bloody and beaten, and uh, he'd been threatened. And that's usually not a good thing. That's enough usually for me to want to go home and take a rest. He didn't do that, right? He moved on to Thessalonica. This was a man of great courage. The next thing we see is that, that they had a course of action. They had a methodology. They had a plan. They knew what they did. They go to synagogues. They go and preach the gospel. They know that people are going to be there that are ready to hear spiritual things. So they go, they preach the gospel, and then, and then they, they do their thing and people receive it and some people don't. The other thing is that they had a clear message. They knew exactly what they were going to preach. Every time, they were very clear. They reasoned from the scriptures. That's the language that's used, right? They reason from the scriptures. They present the evidence for why someone might believe. And then it's either received or it's not. So it was a very clear message. The other thing is that they accepted the fact that there was going to be conflict wherever they went. They accepted that. We don't like that. We don't like conflict. That's some of us were like, well, I can do the, I can have a course of action. I can pretend to be courage anyway, uh, courageous anyway. I could put that on for a minute, right? But the thing that we don't like is we don't like conflict. And that's usually where we want to turn back and go back home is when people start getting angry and upset with us. Well, look, it's an angry and upset world. So, I, I, I mean, even if you're a lost person and you don't have a message, you're probably, you're probably going to find conflict wherever you go. So why not go as a Christian and find conflict for the sake of the gospel? And so we see that they're, they're very comfortable with this idea of wherever they go, people are going to be upset about the message. That's okay. The city might, they might stone us, whatever. Um, and then last we saw that they worked together. They worked collectively. It was these men, not that man. It wasn't just Paul that turned the world upside down. It was these men. It was a, collect, a collection of people who, were, who had consecrated their lives to the work of the gospel. And so by way of review, that's what we looked at. Now, Moving forward today, uh, just in terms of the progression of the story, we see that Thessalonica gets all upset. They go and they grab Jason, who's the friend of Paul and the missionaries. They've been staying at his house. And they go and they can't find Paul and they can't find Silas and the guys, so they arrest Jason and they accuse him of treason. And after there is some, some, some discourse about whether or not they can charge him, eventually they decide to let Jason go. And the Christians in Thessalonica gather Paul and Silas together, and they determine, look, bro, it's, it, it's time for you to leave the city. Okay, whether that was some sort of arrangement that they had made with the magistrates or whatever it happened, the story doesn't really tell us what, what goes on there. But Paul and Silas, they want to be in Thessalonica, but they have to go. They have to go. Now, I want to make a point. We haven't even gotten into the message yet today, but I need to make a point right here because I think it's important. I think it's very relevant. There's many of us in this room who desire to reach our friends and family with the gospel. There's many of us who know that the only hope for our friends and our classmates is if they would simply just take the time to listen to the terms of the gospel and that they would receive it. And our heart burns inside of us. We, we know that that's our purpose, is to take them the word. But yet, every time we come to them, they don't want to hear it. They have an excuse. There's something in the way. There's a hurdle. And you just can't ever seem to get over that hurdle. Do you know, do you have people in your life where your relationship's like that? They just, they can't or they won't hear the gospel. Okay? Now listen. We're not really sure what kind of uh, uh, a role uh, that, that Paul had in terms of going back to Thessalonica. But we know this. 
that after he left that day, he wrote two very important letters to Thessalonica. Two very important letters that centered on the return of Jesus Christ. They were intended to provoke them to greater faith. And it was, a, it was an evidence of who Jesus Christ was. Now listen to me. I want to make a suggestion to you. For those of us who find it very difficult to share the gospel with certain people in our lives, there's a hurdle, there's something in the way, have you ever considered writing a letter? Have you ever considered just taking the time to share all the things that when you try to speak to them, they shut you down, something comes up, they, they, they say something to distract, they want to talk about the ball game last night, yeah, that's cool, hey, by the way, the Royals, blah, 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 right? And they, 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 they change course and they won't take the time to listen to you. Have you ever thought about just sitting down and writing them a letter? You know, people can't really interrupt a letter. And as much as they hate the letter, like you know how this works on YouTube, you can't just help but read the comments, right? You're just like, oh, now, now that I've started, I just can't seem to stop, right? Someone says something in controversial on Instagram, you're just like, ooh, this is, this is so good. And the same thing's true. If you write someone a letter, they can't help but to listen to you. Share your testimony. Tell them all the things that Christ has done in your life. And there might be hurdles in the physical world that make it difficult for you to share with your mouth what Jesus Christ means to you, but I bet if you write them a letter that they'll listen. And they'll read it from beginning to end. And even if they don't like it, bet you anything, they put it in a shoebox and they tuck it away and they wait on it. And they come back to it. They revisit, in that, revisit your letter in that hard time. Over and over again, I give this advice to people. And when they take it, it seems, it seems to work. It seems to do something. It seems to stir something. And so I want to encourage you in that way. So I haven't actually started preaching yet. So we're going to pray real quick. Today's message is about the Bereans. Okay, the Bereans, some of you may be familiar with these, this group of people, but I think this is going to be fun, and, uh, and we're going to hit it hard and fast, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word, and Lord, we thank you that we have a message worth telling people about. Lord, we thank you so much for the fact that the gospel, it just, it burns like a fire inside of us, and we know we have this reality that, that people are more than just their flesh. They're more than just their job. They're more than just their degree program. They're more than just where they live. They're more than those things. They are souls. And souls are eternal. And so, God, we, we pray that, Lord, the, the, the fire of the gospel that burns inside of us would provoke us to go to people and that we would pour eternal things from your word into the lives of eternal souls. That we would give everything we have to that mission. That we would go boldly. That we'd be create, uh, courageous. That we would speak a clear message. That we would not be afraid of conflict. That we would go as a team. That we would rely on one another. That we would be those things in this lost world in this time. And that you would use us in the last of the last days. That's what we desire. Lord, today as we look at your word... Would you teach us how to be Berean in our approach to people, to information, to knowledge that we receive when someone's speaking, Lord, that we would be able to learn how to filter the things that people say through your book. Show us how to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so we are in Acts chapter 17. We're going to look at verse 10. It says here, And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, 
who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. Okay, so we know how this goes, right? He's doing exactly what he always does. So, so Berea is a city just, just west of Thessalonica. It's not very far. <clears throat> they get to Berea, and they go immediately to the synagogue to preach. Now, what they discover here is that, that Berea is a little bit different than, than Thessalonica. What they discover here is that the Bereans are a little bit more receptive to the gospel than they have been in other places that they've been in Macedonia. Now, if you've been around this church or churches similar to ours, you've probably heard people use the word Berean as an adjective, okay? You, you, have, has anybody heard someone say, oh, it, you know, they're being Berean about it, right? And what that means is that someone isn't taking information at face value. Okay, just because it was said by an authority or just because it seemed right, that they're not taking it at face value, but instead they're taking that information and they're running it through the truth of Scripture in order to determine if what is being said is valid or not. In other words, a Berean might be someone who uses the Bible as the lens by which they see the world. A word we might use to describe the Bereans would be discerning. Discerning. They were discerning. They were discerning people. I I don't know if you guys know this or not, but before I was a teacher, before I I was a pastor, I was a teacher. Before I was a, a teacher, I was a graphic designer in a marketing department. I was the brand manager of a company called The Roastery. It's a local coffee company here. Some of you frequent the coffee shops. I used to work there. I was the brand manager. I was responsible for for making sure that there was consistency between the grocery stores and the coffee shop and other restaurants that were using our coffee in terms of the brand. And um, now the beautiful thing about working for a coffee company and, and officing in a place where there's a roasting facility is that, that every day at 10 o'clock, we would go and do what's called, I'm going to say this, you're going to laugh, we would do what's called cupping. This is not like spooning, okay? It's different than that, okay? Cupping, we did cupping. And it's essentially the equivalent of like taste, taste testing, like the way uh, sommeliers taste wine and they do taste testings. Cupping is the art form, the craft, where you, uh, you, know, you, you sit and you, and you taste coffee and you determine whether or not it's good or bad or, or you know, is this the pro- profile, flavor profile that you want or this. And so every day at 10 o'clock, all of the staff would gather in the cupping room, okay? And a man named uh, Norm Kilman, he was our head roaster. Storm and Norman uh, is what we used to call him, old guy. There's a, he'd set up the cupping table and we would do different types of taste testing. And he'd put different cup, uh, uh, coffees on, on the table, and the, and the table was real cool. It spun around. That was always cool. Spinning tables is cool. And uh, he would pour, he'd pour the hot water over the coffee, and he'd make sure everything was just right. And we would taste coffees from all over the world. Now, here's the deal. Over time, I was there for almost three years. Over time, I could sit down at Storm and Norman's table, And I could taste uh, from a table uh, uh, of 10 different coffees, I could tell you where each of them were from in the world. I could say, I could say, oh, this is clearly, this is clearly a natural washed Ethiopian. Or I could, I could say, oh, this, this is Kenyan, but it tastes a little bit about uh, like these Costa Rican varietals I've had before. It was real snobby, okay? I'm not going to take, like, 
it's so pretentious. I'm, I know that. I know that it's pretentious. But, but it, was, it was my world, and I loved it. And listen, my palate over time, as I trained it, became discerning. I had to train it. I had to take time. Every day at 10 o'clock, I trained my palate to become discerning. And that is what the Bereans were. They were discerning. They had developed a perspective on the world that says, we are unafraid of the world's ideas. Because, because we have learned to test the validity, validity of the world's ideas against Scripture. They had developed discernment. Now, in our world today, very few people are discerning. In a world that is consumed by tribalism, we're not a very discerning people. We like to toe the line of whatever, whatever the, the ideas and the concepts that are derived from whatever group of people that we like to associate with, we like to toe the line of those concepts. And we like to say, well, because, you know, because I'm of this political persuasion, or because I am black, or because I am Hispanic, or because I'm white, or because, because I'm really into fishing. These are the, listen, these are the lines that divide our society into tribes, into ideologies. And what happens is we get so consumed with our worldly ideologies that it becomes impossible for us to understand, receive, or discern what is or isn't true. Because all we do is we toe the line of whatever concepts are coming from our tribe. Folks, this, this is very dangerous, especially for Christians. So today we're going to talk about what makes someone discerning. How do we become discerning in a world that isn't, in a world that's ruled by emotions, that makes all of their decisions based on how, how they feel? That's the, you know, that's the filter. How does that make me feel? Let me run that through the filter of my emotions, and if it, if it triggers me, I'm going to refuse it. That's the world that we live in, right? It's a world of insecurity and fear. So how do we as Christians become less gullible? Anybody in here know that they're gullible? I'm kind of gullible. I fall for every lie. You know that's who you are, right? There's some of you who know that's. There's some of you in this room who are overly cynical. And every time information comes to you, you, you refuse it outright because you, you just, maybe you're lazy. But you approach things with great cynicism or pessimism and you just dismiss them quickly, right? Because it doesn't match what you think. How do we learn to weigh evidence and draw the right conclusions? So we're going to take a moment, and we're, literally a moment, and we're going to look at who the Brians were. First of all, verse 11, in describing the Brians, it says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. It says that, that Paul and Silas' experience in Berea was much different than that of Thessalonica. Why? Because in Thessalonica, they were immediately treated with fear and suspicion, right? That's how they were treated. But in Berea, they found people who were kind and willing to listen. The Bible describes their willingness to listen as noble, as noble. And the definition of noble here is to mind things of a higher estate, to mind things of a higher estate. In other words, they were spiritually minded individuals. 
they were looking, they were looking for truth. Their hearts and minds were already pre- pre- uh, prepared that when information came to them that they, they wanted to determine what is and isn't truth, they were pre- uh, prepared in that way. The Bereans, by culture, minded spiritual things. Key point number one. Okay, here's the, here's the principle that we're going to pull out of this. You ready? Some of you aren't, I've noticed, some of you don't take notes. Okay? So here's a little bit of a rebuke. Take notes. You're going to remember things better. You, you sit in your college classroom and you take notes, and you don't even care about that crap. You, you know, you listen to your the professors that you think are ridiculous just drivel on and on and on. You, you write down every one of their words. And here we are, we're talking from the Bible, and you're, you're here, you're excited about that. Write some things down, at least write down the key points and the verse references. Yeah? We can do that. Key point number one, a discerning Christian is naturally concerned about spiritual things. A discerning Christian is hungry for truth. They're ready for it. They're prepared. They're looking for it. They they want it. They want to grow. Okay? Now, this is going to progress, okay? Not all truth is good. Like, not all information that comes to you is good truth. That's, it's, not, it's not all good. So that leads us to the next thing. Okay? So they were noble. They were spiritually minded. They were ready for spiritual conversations. But they were also ready to receive. Now, verse 11 says, in that they received the word. Paul and Silas, they're preaching. The Bereans are listening. And they received it. Now note, very carefully here, let's let's pay attention to the words. It says they received it. It doesn't say that they accepted it. Right? Just because you receive it and you're willing to consider it doesn't mean you have to adopt those ideas. Does that make sense? So, in other words, the Bereans were willing to hear others' ideas without necessarily adopting them. You know, the lost world is often not receptive to hear Christian ideas because they're afraid to confront the truths that might interrupt their reality. You know, the lost world isn't, isn't like lining up outside the door this morning. I don't, there's not a line, by the way. You, you notice that, right? Right? Now, the UMKC hasn't bust in people over here from the atheist club to line up outside the building. I don't know if you've noticed, right? They, they, don't, they don't want to hear truths because they're afraid that they might interrupt the reality that they've established. You understand that, right? But Christians can be this way, too. Right? Christians can be this way too. They hear something that interrupts previously held ideas and they dismiss them. That gets in the way of this thing over here. I'm just going to tell you right now, that's, that's fleshy. That's worldly. Okay? Don't be so quick to dismiss. Any, any given Sunday that I come in here and I sit down and Pastor Sam preaches, he's likely to present a truth that is going to conflict with my reality. And I can't dismiss that Right? In my flesh, I might want to. I might say, oh, well, that, doesn't, that makes me uncomfortable. But as a Christian, I have to recognize it's my responsibility to receive that and consider it. And on the other hand, many Christians just passively receive teaching without asking any hard questions. That's the gullible folks. 
They get on TV, and, the, and, and Joyce Meyer is on, and they turn to TBN, and they're watching the Angel Network. That's, I think that's a thing, the Angel Network. Creflo Dollar is on TV, and they're like, oh, this is interesting. Joel Osteen's got something very inspirational to say this morning. And they just receive this stuff, and they don't understand that, that they're not filtering through heresy. That they're being taught lies. That people are just making stuff up to pad their pockets, and they eat it up. They're eating it up because they're gullible. See, for the Christian, it's important that when we're presented with teaching, we take the following position. Key point. A discerning Christian is not afraid of ideas, but they are critical of them. We're not afraid of ideas. You can have an idea. Tell me about your idea. You got a friend, they want to tell you about what they think, their atheist ideas or their political ideas or whatever, whatever thing that they want to tell you about. Sure, listen, be kind, receive it. That's what the Bereans did. They sat down. They said, okay, yeah, tell me about that. I want to hear about that. They were unafraid. But even though they received it, doesn't mean that they were going to just adopt it outright. So they were critical. They put their, they put their thinking caps on. They learned to consider what is actually being said here. Because you know that people are liars. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen 13 says, For such are false apostles. They were false apostles in Paul's day. Deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. People just like showed up and said, Well, I'm an apostle and I'm going I'm to pretend I'm like Paul. And I'm going to teach something. And you're going to listen to me. And Paul's saying, look, that's not valid. Put on your thinking cap. Be critical. 14, in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 says, and no, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Even Satan can do that. He can show up, look in any form he wants. As long as it looks good to you, he'll put that on. He doesn't mind doing that. That doesn't bother him. He can look like an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. In other words, there's liars, y'all. There's liars. There's people that are lying. And it's for this reason that while we should not fear teachers, we have to be prepared to evaluate the validity of people's claims. Okay? So that's why it says in the exact same statement that they were receptive but they also had ready minds. They received the word with all readiness of mind. In order to receive information without being deceived, one must have a ready mind. It's our responsibility to discern or judge whether or not something is a deception or not. And in order to do that, we have to have minds ready to filter what is taught through the ringer of Scripture. We have to be prepared, prepared to do that. If it does not make it through the other side of the ringer, then it's not truth to be accepted. And false teachings can be really complicated, which leads us to the next key point. A discerning Christian is aware that lies often exist in proximity to truth. A discerning Christian already knows that most good lies are woven into truth. They're complex. They're difficult. Have you ever had to untangle like a, a, a spool of yarn or something? The other day, I got out my electrical cords to do some work in the backyard. I needed some power, you know, man stuff. 
And so I got the cords out. And, and so just like any bad, I don't know, dad, like I'm not good at the dadding thing. So all my cords are all bunched up. And it took me 30 minutes to just get the cords untangled, you know, the long, the long orange cord. It took me forever. I had to get it untangled before I could, could use it. And I want you to know that lies function like that. They're all wrapped up in truths. And sometimes you got to take your time and you got to get real fine and detailed with the way that you pull the lies and separate them from the truth. That takes craft. That takes skill. That's why the Word of God says in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's why it says that. It takes work. It takes the skill of a surgeon to, to, to determine the difference between a lie and truth sometimes. And so that means that you need to learn the word of God so that your mind is ready, so that it's prepared, so that it can do the work it's intended to do. Does that make sense? We have to have a ready mind. We have to be prepared. And some of y'all in this room don't know how to do that. You have not yet studied to show yourself approved. I mean, you might have a Christian background. You might have grown up in church. You might have been around a lot of like Christianese, right? You know the words, you know the lingo. But you've never ever learned or practiced how to divide God's word. And so you aren't a surgeon with that tool. And so you don't know what to do when the lies come. You don't know what to do. Where are you at in the path of growth? That sign out in the, in the lobby. In terms of your spiritual growth and your knowledge of God's word, where do you fit? Some of y'all in this room, you know for a fact that you've got to find where you fit and you need to begin to move forward. Stop playing. It's funny, I've had a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of adults in here from other fellowships. Time-wise, they, they have time to be in here. And I love that you guys are in here. It's exciting to me. Thank you for visiting. But I'm going to challenge you all the same way I challenge these young people. Where are you at in the path of growth? When you get to be about my age, it's much more difficult to take LFBI classes. Right? you got kids. you got things that get in the way. Where are you at in LFBI? Just saying. Just saying. Oh, well, I already, you know, I already did all that. No, no, no. You don't ever stop learning. It continues on, and it says, They searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. See, a discerning Christian knows that God's Word has the ability to uncover the truth and to extinguish mistruths. It has the ability to do that. I might not be smart, but God's Word is. And all I have to know is how to divide it. And the great thing is it's got perforated edges. It tells me how to divide it. It shows me how to compare Scripture to Scripture. I don't even have to be that smart. I don't have to have a degree from seminary, some seminary somewhere. I can learn how to divide God's Word for myself, and I can learn to uncover mistruths. I can do that. I just have to take the time to search the Scriptures to do it. See, it's the authority. It's the authority. And anything spoken or written or performed or sung or declared or protested or politicized that fails that fails the scrutiny of this book ought to be dismissed outright. Amen. If it falls outside the contents of, this of the pages of this book, we've got to be real careful about how we approach it. Jeremiah 23, 28 says, The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. Let him tell a dream. Let him speak. 
And he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat? What's the chaff to the wheat? What's, does that make sense to you? The chaff is the stuff that's, that's thrown out. It's the part that's left behind. It's the part that's unnecessary. When, when the harvest comes in, there's the wheat and there's the chaff. And it goes on to say, Is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? I mean, be, y'all, be confident in what you have. Let it do its work. Don't use your logic. It's going to deceive you. Your mind is weak. You know it. Your emotions are weak. They deceive you all the time. Use the book. It's like a hammer. And anything that's rubble, it'll get dismissed. Anything that's chaff, it'll get dismissed. If it's worthless, it'll go through the fire and it'll disappear. To many Christians, to many Christians, they're easily deceived. They're easily led astray because their minds are unready. But a mature Christian makes a habit of comparing everything to God's word. What does it say? That the Bereans searched the scriptures what? Mm. Ooh. Daily. In other words, Paul preached and they sat down day after day after day together to determine whether or not what was being spoken was true. Can you imagine that? We're going to have to consult one another from the scriptures, Paul. We'll be back. Day one, day two, doesn't tell us how many days, day two, day three, They're, they got the book over, open, they're doing Bible study, they're looking at the Old Testament, and they're like, well, well, here's the prophecies of the Messiah, and we're, Paul's saying that Jesus Christ fulfilled these things, and this is how it went down, and we can see that, and oh my gosh, and day after day, and finally they come to a conclusion. Now, before we get there, listen, key point number four, I believe, says a discerning Christian uncovers lies as a form of daily practice. That's what they do. As a form of daily practice, every day I'm in God's word, every day I'm trained in his word, I'm devotionally in it, I study it, I divide it, I love it, I'm obsessed with it, so that when, truth, uh, when, when lies do come, I can determine that they're lies. I uncover lies as a form of daily practice. I can tell what's a lie. Like I'm learning how to do that every single day because I love God's word. It's a form of daily practice. Romans 12, 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's through the renewing of your mind that you have the ability to prove what is God's will and what's not. What does fit within my Christian worldview and what needs to be dismissed. Last and finally, they were confident in the truth. It says in verse 12, Therefore many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks and of men, not a few. See, for the Bereans, they searched the scriptures, and the scriptures proved the truth. And they were so confident, so confident in the outcome of their investigation, that they staked their entire lives upon it. They didn't just study day after day after day and be like, oh yeah, you're right, cool, man. Uh, peace. That was good, thanks, man. That was interesting. That was a good time. No, they studied the scriptures. They discovered that it was true. They adopted it, and they didn't just adopt it. They gave up their whole lives to believe it. Everything changed. 
Everything changed for them in, a, in an instant. At that moment that they're like, oh, we believe. Oh, my gosh, we believe. Everything's different now. The Messiah has come. Jesus Christ did save me from my sins. I will put my life into that. The mission and the purpose of my life is completely different now. Everything is different. Is that how you treat truth? When you're confronted with truth, when you discover what is and is not reality, are you willing to stake your life on the claims of God's word? Pastor Professor Joseph M. Stahl of Moody Bible Institute says, discernment in scripture is the skill that enables us to differentiate. It is the ability to see issues clearly. We desperately need to cultivate this spiritual skill that will enable us to know right from wrong. We must be prepared to distinguish light from darkness, truth from error, best, this is a tough one, best from better. Righteousness from unrighteousness, purity from defilement, and principles from pragmatics. That's another really big one. Because pragmatics will get us into legalism. False boundaries that we, we construct. This is what it, be, it means to be a religious Christian. Here are my pragmatics. This is the way it should go. Alan Shelby refer, refers to it as convictionalizing God's word. What we're talking about here is principles. Principles to live by that liberate us to follow Christ. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Listen to me. We're going to close this way. We've gone over a little bit and we're we're going to have uh, Uriah come up and do a song, okay? A little ditty as we go. But listen to me. Hey, listen, some of you in this room, you know that you're gullible. And when confronted with things from your friends and from family members, and they come and they tell you these things, and it's hard to know what is and isn't true. And you get wrapped up real easily, and people deceive you. You know you've been deceived. Maybe in the last few months, you've found yourself deceived by someone else, by their political view, or maybe their temptation for you to do something that you know conflicts with your morality in God. Some of you are cynical. You dismiss everything. Any preacher that gets into this pulpit, you're ready to to prove in your mind why they're wrong because you know better. And you're pessimistic by nature. Both of those are way out of balance for the Christian. When information comes to us, we have to learn how to take God's word and filter that So that whatever comes across the other side, we're ready to stake our lives on that. If it doesn't make it through, let it go. And if you know that you struggle in this area today, grab a friend and let's pray. Go out to the lobby and sign up for discipleship. Go look at the path of growth. Find out where you're at. I need to learn God's word. I need to sharpen my ability to be a discerner of what is and isn't true. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. You're so good to us. We love your word. We love the testimony of the Bereans. We could, we could look at this over and over again. We could compare them against other, like there's, just so, there's so many ways of approaching this. God, I love your word. And Lord, I pray that it would be, it would consume my heart and my mind. That Lord, I wouldn't think things that aren't your word. That I, that I wouldn't do things that don't comply with conformity to Jesus Christ. I want to live and breathe and do according to who you are and who you want me to be. I want to go and I want to win the world for that mission. And along the way, I'm going to get lied to. 
And so, Lord, I I pray that you would prepare, prepare every young person in this room, everybody's mind, to be able to determine what is and isn't true. We need your help, Lord. Meet with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.li.com.